Let's bow together and pray. While we pray, would you ask God? Lord, would you speak to me in these next few minutes? Would you allow me to hear something from you? To see something that's beyond what I comprehend right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I uh, learned of a couple whose marriage was in a state of decline. They uh, were beginning to lose hope about the future of their marriage. And in the pursuit of dealing with all that, the man began to spend more and more of what could be relationship time with his wife online in chat rooms. If you're familiar with chat rooms, you can tap in and engage in uh, a common conversation that's happening with a lot of people, or you can engage one person at a time. And more and more, this guy began to spend his relational capacity within chat rooms and through all that met someone he's using an alias she's using an alias and they have a number of exchanges and uh, find each other engaging and something begins to develop more or less virtually with them the guy's wife more and more left out and with all this vacant time in the evenings while he's online gets on her own computer and she in similar fashion begins to engage chat rooms and engage a number of people and after a period of time she begins to particularly zero in on one guy she's using an alias he's using an alias and they have all this exchange going on you probably know where I'm going with the story so at some given point the husband and the wife decided that they wanted to meet their online lovers and they set up a rendezvous and when they got together found out they had in fact been meeting with one another with aliases unbeknownst to one another. And of course they were so shocked to find that the person that they had been engaging online was one another and betrayed, they immediately divorced. I've been hearing and seeing more lately about Second Life. You know about Second Life? How many of you know about Second Life? About uh, 15% of you, maybe. It's a virtual world. And in that world, you uh, create an identity for yourself. You have an avatar that's kind of your persona, whether or not it looks like you. It, it uh, reflects what you want to reflect. And you engage all these other people in this virtual world. Uh, and your avatar interacts with their avatar, and all kinds of things can take place. Uh, social stuff, recreation stuff, work stuff. There's even spiritual communities within Second Life, and churches, and so on like that. And so, did you see the story this past week out of the UK, where a guy had uh, begun actually spending more time in Second Life than in First and Real Life? And uh, he had all these relationships going on. His wife was aware of some of it. Uh, but on this particular occasion, uh, over the last few days, she actually walks into the room where the computer is while he is engaged 
in virtual infidelity with a virtual prostitute. And uh, his real-life wife gave him a real-life divorce because of his virtual craziness. I've been in ministry for over 30 years. I've been walking with people through a variety of relational mazes for 30 years. The last two years have hit new heights, or should I say lows, in relational mess and craziness. Bizarre. And you know what? That's the direction we're heading. It's only going to become more so. So in these days, we're talking about how do we slay some of the big giants out there that would seek to ruin us. And we've been using the ancient account of David and Goliath as a model about dealing with the giants that we face today. And today, I'm especially highlighting what I will call the relationship giant. Now, just as David's giant had a name, Goliath, I've given the relationship giant a name, and I call him Hurt, because that's what he does so often. Relationships are just packed with potential for blessing, for pleasure, for joy, for deep meaning, and conversely, just as packed with potential for hurt, for wounding, for ruining us. And so what I want to suggest is that as David, in the power and in the presence of God, overcame the giant of his day, that you and I look to lean into God in ways that we can contend with and deal with the relationship giant, contend with hurt today. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack a little bit about what it is that we are contending with. And the first is this. Hurt seeks to in, envelop us in a variety of hang-ups. So here's the reality. All of us have dysfunctional relationships. We had dysfunctional experiences in our family of origin. If we are married now, we have dysfunctional seasons, if not all the time, uh, experiences in our marriages and with our children. We certainly have it in the workplace and in a variety of social circles. Church relationships can be dysfunctional. And when we talk about dysfunction, that's kind of a polite way to say it gets screwy and crazy and hurts me. Everything from words that hurt my feelings to actions that hurt my body and abuse me. What do we do with such emotional, relational, sometimes even physical pain? Well, unless you're a masochist that enjoys living in pain, most of us seek to get pain relief. And most of us will address pain in medicating kinds of ways. And thus, we have a scenario today where there is such a, um, uh, a rampage, if you will, of relational dysfunction and pain that a lot of us, more than ever, are eating too much to comfort ourselves with food. Or we're working too much 
to comfort ourselves with some sense of control and some sense of accomplishment in, in some arena of our life. Or we're drinking too much. Or we're taking uh, you know, drugs and other kinds of chemicals. Or we're engaging in illicit kinds of sexual activity. I could spend the next week talking with you about the variety of hang-ups and habits and addictions that we are beginning to lean into as a culture and a society to deal with relational dysfunction and we don't have that much time. And so uh, let me just spend the next three or four minutes talking about one in particular and I want to talk to you about the sexual hang-up. I'm finding it more and more prevalent and challenging with what's going on in our culture and in our world because it has been hijacked, sexuality has been hijacked by our culture. So, first of all, we believe God's given us our sexual capacities. It's a good gift. It's something that He wanted us to both have pleasure with and to procreate with. A number one. God's for it. He's not against it. But number two, He intended its use to happen within a covenant committed lifetime marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And anything that is outside of that is a hijacking of what God intended for sexuality and a perversion and illicit use of it. In the third place, uh, more recent medical discoveries related to what's going on with sexual activity in the human body has pointed out to us that when one engages in a variety of sexual experiences, there is a chemical thing that happens within us that can become as potent as crack cocaine and can become highly addictive. Which leads me to say in the fourth place, if you've paid any attention at all and you've been around for a while, over the last 30, 40, even 50 years, we have gone sex crazy in the American culture. What used to be in the 50s, where you could only uh, procure one pornographic kind of magazine from under the counter in a, in a given store, soon morphed into being able to find a number of magazine titles on a magazine rack for all to consume, including children, then you add into that mix what goes on with television and with movies and, dare I even delve into the Internet. And friends, the thing that you need to understand about this is that although we've had addictive problems for years with drugs and with alcohol, we're understanding more and more now about how we get addicted to food beyond consuming for our physical well-being, but to comfort ourselves and medicate ourselves. Now we're understanding that about sexuality. And the rising addiction today, which is going to eclipse all the others, is sexual addiction for men and for women. And a lot of that is birthed out of... It's not a problem with just taking and tarnishing sexuality. It's a problem with dealing with our personal pain, especially relational pain. And so we get all hung up about that. And there is an entire industry out there that understands that. And thus, 
just the porn industry alone is skyrocketing in corporate profits. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are a group of people in our country that understand what's going on with us and they are peddling a product that will keep us in an addictive state and continue to feed our addictions until it kills us. And so those of you that are hooked into sports, all professional sports combined, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, professional hockey, make less all combined than the porn industry alone. It's not going away. And it's going to continue to not just come into your home via your computer, but through your phone and the greater technologies that you're developing with your telephones. In fact, what used to be a single copy of Playboy under a counter in some store now is found on most kids' cell phone where they have a picture of at least one girl that has chosen to reveal herself to the kid. And moms and dads, I'll just say to you, you need to be having this kind of conversation with your boys especially, but with the girls also, and you need to be doing it sooner than later. Because the national average for the first porn experience for a child is 11 years of age. And so I wouldn't be waiting past 10. And depending on who your child is and what circle they circulate in, you may need to have that kind of conversation earlier and it's not a one-time conversation it's something that happens over and over again and that you can you keep a continual dialogue about I could go on and on and on about it but here's the point friends we all live in a world of dysfunctional relationships that bring some level of pain and discomfort and disturbance to us what do you do with that pain our culture says medicate it eat too much work too much uh, 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 drink too much, drug too much, sex too much. God says, no, let me into your relational world. Let me bring healing to your relational world. Let me bring power to your relational world. Let me bring transformation to your relational world. The ancient scriptures tell us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Fixate your heart on the person of God and on your relationship with God, who He is, who you are, and what there is between the two of you. Because that will bleed over into every other relationship you have. He says you shall teach this diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, your conversation is spiced every day throughout the day with your experiences with God and your relationship with God, especially with your children and your family members, allowing them to see how much God is a part of who you are and what that relationship looks like. Now, when your life begins to be saturated with the person, 
who gave us the gift of relationship, designed how relationships are to work, then you began to find God coming through and expressing Himself in your relationships. You go, you know what? I just don't know that much about building a relationship with God. Well, A, it is something you build. You establish it, just like you build with any other person. It does not happen by wanting and wishing. It happens by engaging and working relationally with God, just like you would with any other person. You've got to talk to Him. You've got to listen to Him. You spend time in His Word. You, you learn things that are true about who He is and what His character is like and what His purpose is concerned. I could go on and on about that. You go, well, I need help with that. I do too. And that's why we make such a big deal about small groups in this church. We need community. We need one another to help us stay centered with God. You go, but I thought those relationships were part of the problem. They are. But they're also part of the solution. When you start that trialogue between you and another and God, then God begins this knitting of our hearts in a way that He intended, that is full of health, that is full of blessings. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. I have a group uh, that I meet with every week. I mean, it's extraordinary when we don't meet. I'm out of town or something like that when we don't meet. And every week we check in with each other, but how is it with you and God? How is it with you and your spouse? How is it with you and you? Because we have a relationship with ourselves that's pretty dysfunctional. We don't often treat ourselves very well. And in the course of checking in about that, when it's online and good, then we celebrate that. And when it's a little askew, then we challenge one another, encourage one another, as we invite it, troubleshoot with one another about how to better live out that relationship. Now, if you're also like me, listen, I come from enough dysfunction in my background, I, I've been a pretty screwed up person. And so I need something beyond what I do with my normal support group. I need regular engagement with what I call recovery. And I meet on a regular basis with a number of people in a recovery setting where we specifically address our hang-ups, our habits, our addictive proclivities. And we get real honest about that. And we have accountability with one another about that. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I don't want to just manage my junk. I want to be healed. I want to get set free. I want to be delivered. I want to be able to know God and know people in the fullest relational capacity that God designed us for. Amen? So he says in 1 Peter 5.7, this relational pain, this dysfunctional stuff, the disturbance in your soul that you want to medicate the pain. He says, give those cares to God. Because He cares for you. He already knows about it. You're not played in hide and seek with Him. So just go ahead and, and be forthcoming and begin to give this stuff over. You're thinking about people in ungodly kinds of ways. You're harboring stuff in your heart about all that? Begin to give that to Him. Deal with Him about that. So here's what the hurt giant will do. He'll try to get you hung up. 
And one of the ways that he'll go about that is with the you word, unforgiveness. You will be tempted with whatever relational junk that's going on not to forgive. To hold on to it. To harbor it. Be angry about it. Now, every time we talk about forgiveness, I just have a flash go across my mind of so much stuff that so many of you have had experienced and the, the forgiveness work that you've, you've been doing. Some of you have done incredible forgiveness work for things that have been wrongfully done to you. Others of you are at a really early stage with that. And I know, just to say the word unforgiveness touches a raw place. Some others of us are just still kind of hard about that. So let me just say a couple of words. Forgiveness is not minimizing something and going, well, it's no big deal. If somebody has hurt you, it's a big deal. It's significant. If it's so small that you never even noticed or thought about it, then that's not the deal and forgiveness is not an issue. But if you noticed it, if it found, you know, uh, it, it hit you and stuck, then it's no small deal. It's significant. Forgiveness is not connected to whether someone is repentant or remorseful. They may never care that they did whatever to you. So forgiveness is not tied to that. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't know if I can ever forget that. that well, that's all right. You don't have to forget it to forgive it. However, every time you remember it, you have to forgive it again. And that's part of a process that God wants to take you through for healing and wholeness in you. Forgiveness is my coming to a place where I will let go of an offense and an offender. And in some instances, that is so substantive, I can't do it without God's help. I have to have His power and His grace to be able to dispense that grace in forgiveness. Matthew 6.14 tells us, If you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. It becomes this kind of channel where as I forgive, He forgives me and His forgiveness in me flows out to forgiveness for others. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, you've damned up the flow. Whatever forgiveness flow God's looking to bring through your life, you've stopped it because you refuse to forgive someone else. So in December of 06, some of you may recall, Yoko Ono, in memory of her late husband John Lennon, former Beatle, decided that we ought to make December 8, the day that uh, Mark David Chapman killed John Lennon, we ought to make December 8 a International Forgiveness Day. And she took out a full-page ad in the New York Times to say, 
this coming December 8, let's all come together. Let's make it an international forgiveness day. Those that have wronged you will get forgiven by you. Even across the military, you know, she had this grand thing, full page New York Times. And a reporter asked her how she had worked through her whole forgiveness of Chapman, who had killed her husband. And she goes, oh, I don't know that I could ever forgive him. Well, uh, hello. I mean, I don't mean that to be critical of Yoko Ono. I, I, the point is that John Lennon cannot inspire me to forgive somebody else. And I was a Beatles guy, okay? But no other human being can really inspire me to forgive others for a lifetime. I mean, you might inspire me for this relationship. Somebody else might inspire me for that relationship. But nobody can inspire me for all of my relationships, for all of my lifetime, except for the person of Jesus Christ, who took my sin and your sin upon Himself on the cross, and He said, Father, as He's got nails piercing Him, forgive them. That is the power and the inspiration that we have for the forgiveness of all kinds of people with all kinds of offenses. Now, the whole Yoko Ono thing in December of 06, interestingly, was preceded in October of 06 by the horrific killings of school children in an Amish community in Pennsylvania. You remember that story? Milkman with three children of his own, average everyday guy, who knows what happened to him, something snapped and he decided that he was going to take out these children. And, and friends, he didn't just go and, and just snuff a life. He did it with full premeditation. He took with him tons of ammunition because apparently he was going to get in a gunfight with whoever tried to stop him along the way. He took with him uh, lumber to board up the, the doors and the windows so that no one could uh, break in on him. He took with him KY jelly, which one can only speculate that he had something perverted in mind with these children. And then he killed five of them and then himself. And in all of that grief and in all of that sorrow and in all of that pain that that Amish community experienced over the next few days, did we not marvel in watching them forgive the perpetrator and even extend care for the gunman's family? Oh, how, how horrible his family must feel that something snapped in him and he did this terrible crime. That is the power of God. That is His grace that works in us and then through us to the relationships around us. This hurt giant will try to get you all tangled up in hang-ups and in unforgiveness, and in resentment. And resentment is simply the playing of the videotape in your mind of the offense that happened to you. And you do a replay, and a replay, and a replay, and a replay. And you keep reliving that whole thing, and you feel freshly that pain over and over again, and that anger, and, and you want vengeance, and you want somebody else to suffer, and you want them to be punished, and all this kind of stuff. 
Listen, that stuff is so pervasive, we entertain ourselves with it. Anybody seen uh, the new Bond? Came out over the weekend? Yeah? The entire movie is about resentment. And don't worry, I'm not going to give it all away. But if you saw the last Bond, the uh, Casino Royale, and you know that Bond, for the like first time, fell in love with a woman. And she betrayed him and she was killed. Well, this story picks up at the very same point of, of her demise. And he is on this mission. And is it for country and queen or is it for my own resentment-based vengeance? And he, he meets up with this gal who was on a similar kind of pilgrimage uh, against a guy who had killed her family. And at one point, he's coaching her about how to kill the guy who killed her family. And in the midst of that, she says to him, so when that happens, will I finally have peace? And Bond says, dead people don't need peace. Friends, that's exactly where we are when we are full of resentments. We're dead. We lose the capacity for joy. We lose the capacity for pleasure. We lose the capacity for love and intimacy and for connection. We lose the capacity to know life's embrace when we are in resentment mode. We're told in Job 5.2, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. 2 Timothy 2.24 tells us, The Lord's servant. See, if you're going to be a leader in the church, if you're going to have maturity in the faith, then you must not quarrel, you must be kind to everyone, you must be able to, and not resentful. It's a mark of Christian maturity. It's a mark of, you've done some life journey with God that you can move past resentments. And so it's just a brief little maturity question. How are you about resentments? Where are you in that maturing process? And then in the last place, that relational giant hurt, he'll taunt you and taunt you and taunt you. You remember how it happened with David and Goliath? Goliath comes stomping out there and he's taunting God and taunting the armies of Israel. And David comes out there, you know, little shepherd boy, he's got the sling, got the stick. And Goliath then just goes ballistic. Who are you that you would come out against a great warrior like me with little sticks and stones and all that kind of stuff? And David shut his mouth by saying, Who are you? uncircumcised Philistine, that you would taunt the living God. Listen, that relational giant hurt will taunt you and say, you don't matter. Your life doesn't count. Who do you think you are? Why would anybody love you anyway? Of course you've got all this relational mess because you've got a life that sucks. It just makes sense that it would be... And it will taunt you and taunt you and taunt you. And unless you, like David, know the truth, you'll take those taunts, you'll take those lies and those fabrications and you'll believe it and you'll live in that broken world. When the truth of the matter is that God says He loved you so much 
He gave you Jesus. He gave up His only begotten Son. He loved you so much. So that you could have life with Him. Forever. The Scriptures say He loves you so much. He's forgiven you of your sin. He loves you so much. He's put Himself out there to reconcile with you. He loves you so much. He wants to bless you with every blessing. With every blessing. He wants to meet every need you have from His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. That's the truth. And so when the taunt comes your way, you meet the taunt with truth about who God is and who you are and what there is between the two of you. John 8.31 tells us, if you hold, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This relational bondage stuff that we get caught up in, you can be set free from that with truth. But here's the key. You have to know the truth. Truth just floating around out there doesn't help you. You have to know the truth and own the truth and use the truth against the taunting lie. Jesus said, here's how you get that truth. Hold on to my teachings. You go, well, you got me there. I'm not very up on the teachings of Jesus. Get up on them. Get a Bible, a readable Bible. Some of them are harder to read than others. With study helps, get in a small group where they'll do that every week. Come to worship, we'll do that every week. Engage in some kind of online study. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to familiarize yourself with the teachings of Jesus, which will help familiarize you with the person of Jesus, which will saturate and fill you with the truth of Jesus. So that that taunt, you don't matter, you don't count, your life is not level, is so fleeting and momentary because you immediately shoot right back the truth. Relationships will hurt you. It is not a matter of if, it's when. Are you ready? To face and slay hurt. Let's pray. So Father, right now on the screen of our minds, there are relationships, there are faces that are coming in view. There's hurt around those. I pray your blessing on these friends for deliverance from hang-ups, deliverance from unforgiveness and resentment and taunting lies. We pray that you would be on us in that kind of way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.